Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Well, good morning. Need everybody do me a favor. Grab your Bible. Turn to Romans. Six twenty-three. You know, I know that one already. I don't care. I want you to turn to it, whether it's digitally or otherwise. And I want you to hear these very poignant words. 623 reads like this. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I feel like I close my Bible and walk off right now. This is the message, the only message that we have. That we deserved death because, because of our rebellion to the holiness of God. And he, he told Adam and Eve in the garden from the very beginning. He didn't make his desire unknown or make us have to guess what it was. He, he expected holiness of them. They rebelled against it. Fell into sin. And we've inherited that sin both by birth and by action. And when he told them, don't eat of this tree, he told them, he said, or you will surely die. There has to be death for sin. And because there has to be death for sin, and God loves us, he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the debt that we owe. Man, this should, this should build a warmth in us that is unspeakable if we truly understand the weight of it because the debt that we owed was our own death, was eternal damnation, separation from God. That's as plain as I know to say it. But, the free gift of God, which means the gift that you didn't earn, is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gift that you got, that you didn't deserve, is only available to you one way. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we, could, we could break this down. We could make this the subject of our sermon today, what it means to, to declare Him as Lord, the fact that He is the Christ, the only way, the way, the truth, and the light, according to the, the life, according to the Word of God, uh, the book of John. All of these things are true, but at the end of the day, the biggest truth I want you to walk away from right now, which is really what I was trying to communicate last week, is that your debt has been paid because Jesus Christ volunteered to pull himself up on the cross and love you enough to die for you. Man, that should blow your hair back. Or those, those of y'all that still have it. Because that's a huge deal. And so that's what we spent time talking about last week is how in this blood-bought life series that we've started, how Jesus, and I tried to describe it as well as I could with my finite mind, how he suffered. And I know in my finite mind with the words of 
humanity. I don't, I, don't, I don't have the words to explain the suffering and what he went through. But in all of it, whatever amount we can grasp, we need to acknowledge one truth. That he did it to make a place for you with him forever. Amen. And, man, if there was ever a reason to love God, that's it. So I want to talk about today, not only how he, he atoned for us through his blood, but today I want to talk about how that blood that was shed, his blood that was shed, is sufficient. For what it was shed to do. Amen. And so I'm going to start. We're going to teach out of chapter 10 today of Hebrews. If you want to go ahead and turn there. And I'm just going to. I'm going to read 10 through 14. Before I do that though. I want to talk to you about. If Jesus Christ's blood. Was sufficient. Why wasn't. The sacrifices of old why weren't those sacrifices sufficient and the word of god tells us very specifically why in the text leading up to the text i'm teaching out of today in verses one through nine it reads like this there's four reasons why those sacrifices weren't good enough which means that there's no act or thing that you can do that are going to be good enough it's the only reason i'm taking my time here to let you know that there's nothing you can do or accomplish that's going to give you the favor of God or place you in a position to receive mercy and the grace that only the blood of Jesus Christ can give you. So here we go. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never. Everybody say can never. Now he's talking about the Levitical law. Can never. By the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. You know why we need the blood of Jesus? Because the Old Testament Levitical sacrifices couldn't make us perfect. But Jesus is dead. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have consciousness of sin? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. And so he's saying, listen to me, those couldn't make you perfect. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a consciousness of sin. You wouldn't feel the guilt that you feel. And so he could never, those sacrifices could never make us free of guilt. But Jesus' sacrifice did. I want to stop and just give you a word of encouragement for, 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 for a second. Jesus died... So that you might be guilt free. If you stay in a position of reverence. In a position of repentance. And ask God when you fall short to forgive you of that sin. You never should have a consciousness of sin. The only reason you have a consciousness of sin right now. Is because you've not asked God to forgive you for something. You should have asked God to forgive you for well, I feel guilty about this. Well, put it before the throne room of God expecting to receive mercy and move on. Because the word of God says that you can have that. But you have to be willing to do it. But I say it also for the purpose of encouragement to tell you if you had, 
If you've done that, stop beating yourself to death. You're asking God to remember something He forgot. Something that He set aside. Word of God says that He moved it far from the east to the west, that He placed it behind Himself, that He cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. There's several different ways the Bible says that God forgot the thing that you confessed to Him, so stop living in guilt. But the Old Testament law couldn't do that for you. Only the blood of Jesus could do that for you. Skip towards verse 8 because the other verses are a summation of a, a Psalms 40. But he, he kind of he sums that up in verse 8. He says, after above, after saying above, sacrificing sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you, capital Y, that means God, have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. So not only could those law could the law not make you perfect not only could the law remove your consciousness of sin but the law also can't please god there's nothing you can do that's going to make god happy only jesus's blood and your acceptance of that blood while living in a state of repentance is going to please god the sacrifice of your life in subjection to the sacrifice of jesus christ makes God happy. Anything else is headspace religion. That's why I told him, I said, back up off this thing. We need to think about, talk about what we're actually talking about. Because we need to understand, we need to come to a place where we recognize that Jesus' sacrifice made us perfect. Jesus' sacrifice removes guilt. Jesus' sacrifice pleases God. And most importantly, I don't, well, I don't know if it's most importantly, but certainly very, very significantly, in verse 9, it says this. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. When Jesus said, I have come to do the will of the Father, you know what he's saying? He said, I'm doing this because I love my Father and I volunteered for it. The sacrifice of the Old Testament couldn't volunteer. Animals, goats, bulls, you brought them, they slaughtered them. Jesus made a decision from the foundations of the earth with your name in his mouth to crawl upon the cross and die for you. And y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Levitical law couldn't do it. It took Jesus to do it. It took his sacrifice to do it. And his sacrifice is sufficient which is what I want to talk about today. That his blood sacrifice is sufficient. Verse 1, I'm going to actually do my teaching, which I had a guy tell me the other day, he goes, you always talk 30 minutes before you start preaching. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 10 through 14 reads like this. By this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But, everybody say but. You know, I love this word because at the end of the, at the front of this thing is always something bad in the scripture. At the end of this thing is always something magnificent. But he, God, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Waiting from that time onward until this 
until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Lord. Man, that's so good. I want to talk about that. Point one, Jesus' blood is sufficient to sanctify the believer. Jesus' blood is sufficient to sanctify you. God's whole purpose in sending Jesus Christ to us is to perfect us as we were originally made perfect in, in the garden. From the front page to the back page, everything from the front page to the back page is trying to get us back into that space. God intends for us to be holy. But like I said, we sin. We sin both by birth and by action. We inherited sin, and we live in sin. And if you say you didn't live in sin, then James, I believe it's James, calls you a liar. Because all of us have sinned. Romans 3.23, Paul says, and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. So you're independently responsible for the fact that you're separated from God and worthy, listen to me because we don't use this word enough, worthy of the wrath of God. Everything that God is, God is perfectly. Which means God's wrath is also perfect for those who rebel against Him. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even want to imagine what that looks like. I just praise God I don't have to face it. He made us holy in the sacrifice of His Son Jesus so that we don't have to answer to His wrath so that He can be appeased. The blood of Jesus Christ appeased the wrath of God, satisfied the wrath of God. There's no wrath for you. That's so good. Because we deserve wrath. You guys ever been knew you deserved a beating and didn't get one? You were excited about that, right? Like, I'm pretty sure I was due a beating the other day. I, I don't know if y'all watch this on Facebook. I recorded my wife, locked her out of the car, made her dance to get in. It's a thing that I do. We've done it since 2006. I deserved a beating that day, but I didn't get a beat. And my, wrath, my wife's wrath ain't perfect. We should be excited about that. We should love God that he loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. By shedding his blood on a cross for us. To fulfill his will for us. What's the will of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. First Thessalonians, if you'll turn there. I like it when the words, you guys, you ever read something so deep, y'all, man, I'm going to have to meditate on that a while. I'd, I don't really understand where God's coming from or what he's trying to say to me. There was a pastor at our old church that had gotten a word out of the word, and it was just one of those words where they just knew that was for them, but they couldn't understand what it meant. So she started praying. She prayed for, I think she said seven years. God revealed to me what this passage meant to me specifically. I've, I've never prayed that long for, to, to know the meaning of a verse, but I've prayed a long time when it's hard and deep. So I love it when God just makes it simple. And here God makes it simple. 
You want to know what his will is for your life? This is it. For this, it's 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 3. For this is the will of God. Oh, you know what? They probably don't have to pray about that. Pretty good idea what that means. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Don't, don't let the word sanctification freak you out. It just means for your holiness, for your being able to be set apart so that you'll live according to Him as Lord. That's what sanctification means. For your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who did not know God, and that no man transgress or defraud his brother in a matter because the Lord is the avenger of all things, just as we also told you before the, and solemnly warned you. For God is not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification. Everybody feeling where I'm coming from? So he who rejects this is not only rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So here we go. God's will for your life is that you be sanctified, made holy, set apart to him so that he could spend eternity with you. Jesus Christ shed his all-sufficient blood to ensure that that happens, which in of itself is something incredible and unfathomable by the human mind. And then there's a list. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. This probably isn't an all-encompassing list, but it's a pretty significant list. Lustful passions cover most of the sins you commit in your life. Don't get messed up and think that's about, that's about sex. He dealt with sex when he said sexual immorality. He said lustful passions, which means anything that would go opposed that you desire, which is a lust, more than you desire the will of God. But to be sanctified and to reject sanctification, if he shed his blood for you, to reject sanctification, according to this same text, is to reject God and the Holy Spirit that he gave you to move towards that sanctification. And that should cause a reverential, God-fearing Christian to take notice. So, let me, and I, and I cover this every time we talk about sanctification, but it's necessary. I told the last service, I said, if you ever get tired of hearing me talk about sanctification, you need to, go to, you need to find a different church. Because we're called to one thing. Well, one thing, we're called to one thing to glorify God. But we glorify God in our own life through our willingness to lay ourselves aside for Him. Amen? So let me talk to you about the sanctification and the sanctification process. I want you to have the confidence to know that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he made you as holy right then in your spirit as you're ever going to be. You are holy at that moment. But he expects a progressional state of holiness in your flesh. He expects that what you say, you do. That if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you act like a Christian. Because honestly, the people that don't make the rest of us look bad. And, and occasionally, I'll be honest with you, I, I probably made you look bad. Because we all got stuff to deal with. 
But it's a process, and it's a process that we have to commit ourselves to. Jesus Christ shed his all-sufficient blood so that we could become uh, more and more holy. Jesus Christ shed his own blood so you and I would have the opportunity to receive the Spirit of God so that we might walk in holiness and that holiness increasing day by day. This is a Christian responsibility. If you are who you were when you got saved 10 years ago, you need to reconsider whether or not you just made a statement or if you declared Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because all of us should be different than we were the day we gave our life to the Lord. Not perfect, but different. Because the Word of God says we won't be perfect until we see that which is perfect, because when we are see Him, we will be like Him. So I'm not looking for perfection, but I'm looking for a pursuit of perfection, which is what I believe God is looking for. You have this, 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 and this you're dealing with? Keep dealing with it. Don't walk in condemnation, because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but when God reveals something to you, stop what you're doing, repent of that, move on, remove the consciousness of guilt that you have, and, and just walk in the presence and the peace of God but it's a process some of y'all beating yourself to death pastor Jim I'm still dealing with this 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 and this man that's keep working on it but let me tell you I'm dealing with this 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 and this because I ain't there yet either because taking off the old and putting on the new as declared as mandatory in the scripture is a lifelong process. There's a lady in our that Angela and I know, she doesn't go to our church, posted a question on Facebook last night. And I need you to hear me all the way out before you start freaking out. But she asked the question, can you be a Christian and racist at the same time? Can you be a Christian and racist at the same time? And my answer to her was yes. I know y'all, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. If a man that has committed his whole life to be it now, can you? Yes. Should you be? No. But there's a difference between can and should be. A man that's given his whole life to a radical ideology, recognizes a need for Jesus Christ, comes to the altar and accepts the Lord as Lord and Savior, truly has a touch of grace upon his life. He's going to wake up in the morning and some of his ideas are still going to be jacked up because he still has to wash his mind pure with the, with the Word. We can't exclude one sin over another sin and we expect that all sin, unless God miraculously delivers us from it, to be a process. If I had a heroin addict come up here and do the same thing, you wouldn't expect that unless God miraculously delivered him from that, he's not going to still deal with that tomorrow. Or probably even two hours after he, he gets up off this altar or before that. But you know what he does? If he's truly tasted grace, he recognizes the responsibility of taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Which is only possible because the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for our sanctification. 
Stop counting on you to do it and just be submissive to the Spirit of God. People are all, that's that still small voice. It'd be less small if you gave it more room. Some, some of y'all are trying to treat the Holy Spirit like it's got battered wife syndrome. And let me explain what I mean. Like you've slapped it down so much, slapped him down so much every time he tried to tell you something. Now he just whispers to you because he knows you're not paying attention anyway. You want him louder in your life? Give him space to talk. But it's a process. Trust the process. Amen? Number two. Jesus' blood is sufficient to remove sin. Well, Pastor Jim, you just talked about sanctification. That's true, but let me talk to you about, because I, I want to I develop this word. I want to talk about this word. This is what the word says. It's sufficient to remove sin. Verses 11 and 12 read like this. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which could never take away sin. Which can never take away sin. Which can never take away sin. I would say this a hundred times if I get you to listen to it one time. What you think you can do to accomplish the removal of your sin can't be done. The only thing you can do is submit to the Holy Spirit and repent of that sin that you've committed can't be done can't take away sins but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of god you know what this is these two verses are a compare and contrast between the old levitical system and jesus christ it says here every priest stands daily ministering and offering time and time the same sacrifice every day there was some sacrifice being made at the temple. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. You see all this lovely, beautiful pictures of the temple. It had to be a horrifically bloody place. At least the altar did. I think we've shined up what God intended for us to see as dirty. Because our sin is dirty. But it says that they time and time again, the priests. And so I, I did a little looking through my Bible and I found out in Numbers, let me get this address right. Numbers 339, in the whole book of chapter, 30, chapter 3, it, it assigns priests to different areas of the temple. So there's priests that clean the utensils, that purify the, the utensils of the tabernacle. There are priests that uh, take care of the furniture. There are priests that actually take care of the the physical tent of meeting, all of these things. There's the priests that prepare the sacrifices, priests that perform the sacrifices. There's, so there's priests that do all of these things. Do you know how many priests it took to appease the wrath of God? Now, I'm sure they worked in shifts, but according to this text, 22,000. What 22, this is the whole reason I bring it up, what 22,000 people couldn't do efficiently, Jesus Christ by himself did efficiently. What they weren't sufficient at accomplishing, Jesus was sufficient at accomplishing all by himself. And the whole purpose of that is to remove sin. And the Levitical process couldn't even get that done. 
Jesus was the only one that actually could remove it. All they could do was appease God and push it forward to the next sacrifice that they had to make. 22,000 people reverently serving in the temple, around the temple, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And Jesus Christ, in all his wisdom and time, said, that is enough. For my blood is sufficient to remove your sin. Man, that's good. From 22,000 to 1. And that sacrifice for all time. For all time. And when he said, it's done, it's done. The work that he did, the blood that he shed is sufficient for all time. One sacrifice, perfect. It's John 19.30 says it is Well, Jesus himself said it as simply as I know how to. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he was on the cross. The last three words he spoke before he gave up his spirit. It is finished. You know what the Levitical priest had to say? All right, I'm going to bed. I'm going to do this again tomorrow. And they go to bed. All right, I'm going to do this again tomorrow. All right, I'm going to do this again tomorrow. Jesus said, that's enough. I'm going to do this one time. And that's all that's going to be required. I just need you to trust in it. That's good. Finally, point number three. Jesus' blood is sufficient to perfect the saints forever. Jesus' blood is perfect is sufficient to perfect the saints forever. Verse 14 reads like this. For those by one offering, for by, for by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Well, Pastor Jim, you're back to sanctification. First off, let me tell you, like I told you before, if you get tired of hearing me talk about sanctification, then you need to find another church that's going to make you feel good about being in your sin. This ain't it. I hope that you don't. I hope that you sit under the word of God and make it powerful in your life. But I bring this up not to talk about sanctification again necessarily, but to talk to you about how he is able and sufficient, his blood, to perfect you forever. I want to read this text again, but I'm going to slow down. For by one offering he has, everybody says has, Perfected for all time those who are, everybody say are, sanctified. Again, all the way through, for by one offering he has perfected all for all time those who are sanctified. Has is a past tense word. Are is a present and future tense word. So his blood is sufficient to save you then. It's sufficient to save you now. It's sufficient to save you tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day because the God that we serve is so finished that he sat down at the right hand of God and he said the work is completed. And it's completed because the God of the universe loved you so much that he shed his blood so that he could be with you for all eternity.
This is what we remember in communion. This is the reason why we've committed to, to take communion every, every week, during, specifically during this series. Because if Jesus' blood was shed for us, we should remember why it was shed for us and our responsibility to it. And so what I've done is I've asked Pastor Rick to, to bring communion today and, and talk about the elements and, and just take this time with you guys. So, Pastor Rick. communion after a, a message about the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. Uh, great word today. You know, the Lord's Supper is really, a, is really a testimony. You know, by partaking of the Lord's Supper, we're, we're testifying uh, that Jesus' body was broken. And we testify that his blood was shed. And, and he did that for us. That's, that's the testimony of our lips, that Jesus did that for me. You know, we proclaim with, with awe and wonder the death of Christ at Calvary. And the Bible tells us that we're to do that in remembrance of him. You know, Jesus himself said that. If, if we had more time, I'd read to you from Luke 22, where Jesus specifically says, do this in remembrance of me. You know, partaking of the Lord's Supper, or what we sometimes call Holy Communion, is a mandate, just like baptism. It's, it's something that, that Jesus has mandated that we do. It's a mandate to surrender, to surrender ourselves and to embrace the love and the mercy and the grace uh, of our Lord and Savior. Seeking always as our, as our first priority to please and honor Him. You know, when, when we break the bread, we, re we remember that His body was broken for us. When we drink the cup, we remember that He shed His precious blood for our sake, for the forgiveness of our sins. And partaking of the Lord's Supper is a commandment that we must do with a pure heart with a humble heart, with a heart of great reverence, standing in awe of what the Lord so willingly did for us. You know, sometimes I think we, we miss that. Uh, we kind of get in the, maybe the routine of communion without, without realizing or remembering the purpose, which is to remember what Jesus did for us and, and to honor him in doing that. Uh, so before we take communion, uh, I want us to be sure that we, that we take it in the right manner, that we take it with a pure heart, uh, a heart uh, that, that momentarily lays down everything else. Let me read you the words of Paul here from, uh, from chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, beginning with verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and, or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks uh, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Now listen to this. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. And that's, a, that's really a mandate to, you know, get your heart right before you take communion. You know, if you're doing it with, a, with unconfessed sin in your life, uh, you know, maybe that's why you're, you're weak or you're ineffective or, or you're not blessed the way you want to be. You know, clear the slate this morning. So I, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. And, and as I pray, you pray that if there's something you're holding on to, something that's keeping you from, from growing closer and closer to the Lord, something you know that, uh, that's hindering you, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's a bitterness or resentment, maybe you're holding on to an offense against somebody, whatever it is, all that stuff is meaningless. In, in, you know, with an eye to eternity. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, in Jesus' name, we come before you, Lord. We come with a... Father, we come confessing uh, that, that, Father, we know we fall short uh, uh, of what you would have us to be, Lord. But, Father, even, even with that realization, we, we rejoice... Father, that, that you know that, that you've given us your spirit, Lord, that you're, that you're willing to forgive us when we confess our sin. So, Father, we just lay sin uh, upon the altar this morning, Lord. Father, whatever it is that's, that we're holding on to, Lord, whatever it is that's hindering us, whatever it is that's that's blocking us from a, a deeper relationship with you, Lord. We, we set that aside right now. And Father, if there's anything that's, that's in our life that maybe we're not even aware of, Lord, would you allow your Holy Spirit to, to speak to us this morning, Lord, to, make, to bring that to our awareness? So Father, we, just, uh, we thank you, Lord, that your word says that you're faithful to forgive us. Father, we thank you for the, for the body, for the blood, the precious blood of Jesus, Lord, that, that puts us, that gives us the opportunity to be in relationship with you, Lord. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, take the, the bread in your hand and and I'm going to read uh, from verse 23 here. It says, In the same way, oh, excuse me, uh, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's do that, and let's remember that this is more than just a, you know, a piece of a wafer. It's, this is something we do in remembrance of what Jesus did. Amen? Let's take it together.
Paul goes on to write in verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You know, as Pastor Jim pointed out, this, this blood is the, it's, it's everything to us. What Jesus did, uh, and I'm, <laughs> I'm trying not to get preachy here. Let, let's take the cup together. You know, Paul goes on to write in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. How many of you are proclaiming the Lord's death? You know, as we leave here today, let's leave with a, with a, with a, a mission to proclaim Jesus. Not only his death, but his, his resurrection and all that that entails. Uh, he's given each one of us an assignment, a mission. And he promises that he, he, he'll never leave you. He'll, he'll go right with you through wherever he sends you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Father, we thank you for loving us the way that you do, Lord. We, we thank you for the precious blood of your son that was so lovingly shed for us so that we could be in relationship with you for all eternity. Father, as we leave this place today, may we always stand in awe of you, of your grace, your mercy, your amazing love, Lord. And, and Lord, we pray that all we've said and done today will bring honor and glory to you. Father, I just pray a blessing on each individual, each family here today. Would you go with us, Lord? Would you, would you open doors for us to proclaim the name of Jesus, Lord? Father, give us that awareness that your spirit goes with us. And Father, give us the discernment to be led by that spirit. Father, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.